Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of RestaurantOwner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. And welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli with RestaurantOwner.com. I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. And we've got a really, really special conversation for you because everybody loves fries, but these French fries set the world on fire. We're talking about fries that have toppings and sauces that are meal of their own. The queen of this concept is with us today, Anna Lee Schlossberg with Bell Fries of New York. Anna Lee, welcome to Corner Booth. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Nice to have you here. Anna Lee, why this concept? What brought you to this place before we kind of dive deeper into the specifics of your business? What was your path to becoming a Belgian fry concept Mm -hmm. owner? Yeah, for sure. So I have always been, you know, really passionate about hospitality. And so after graduating college, I was kind of, you know, delving into the concept more of what can I do that is universally loved by everyone is a simple business model and should most most probably work. So we landed on the idea of Belgian fries. And as you may know, fr- frites shops are very popular all over Europe. And so we thought, you know, if fry shops all over Europe are so popular, why has no one ever done it in America? Why is there no chain of fry shops in America? And so that's where the idea came from. And the reason it's called Bell Fries is because fries actually originated in Belgium and not France. So what we're doing is we're renaming French fries to Bell Fries. Bell Fries as Belgian fries, as you may know, they're thicker cut, twice fried and salted and comes with an array of, you know, 16 artisanal sauces that are made in-house every day. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with Belgian fries, I know there's specialized equipment. It's it's a specialized way of cooking the fries. Could you explain, you know, for those who are not familiar with it, how they differ in many ways from what they might be used to having gone to a QSR and McDonald's or Burger King or even in a restaurant? Because it is a different type of presentation, at least in my mind, it is. Yeah. So so the way that we make our fries, we cut them straight from the potato. It's a, it's a special potato that I can't disclose the name of. So we cut the potato and then what we do is we blanch them and then we fry them one time in the fryer and then we put them in the fr- let them sit, put them in the fridge, then to the freezer. And then when someone orders, we fry them again. And that way they're the they're the crispiest on the outside and fluffy and soft on the inside. And as my experience with Belgian fries before, and I think you you alluded to this, is that a big part of the concept in terms of the culinary aspect, not that cooking the fries right isn't, isn't important because it is straight, it is, but it can't be straightforward. But then you have a variety of sauces and often those sauces can be something that you created in-house and are signature. Talk about that aspect of it if I'm if I understand how you're doing mm-hmm. it. Of course. So, yeah, we're not only famous for our fries, but also 
Our sauces are really what sets us apart from most other places. We have we have an option of 16 different sauces. As I mentioned, we make all of them in-house every single day. All of our own recipes. Our most popular one by far is our black truffle mayo. It's everyone goes crazy over it. We have, you know, lines down the street um, waiting to try the truffle mayo down later down the line. I'm going to start selling the black truffle mayo in grocery stores. And I can get more into that later, later into the podcast. But Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that because co-packing seems to be really, a, you know, if you have good sauces that people like, that seems to be a natural expansion of the business. Where are you located and how many units do you have? So right now we're located at our flagship stores in the Lower East Side of Manhattan mm-hmm. on Ludlow and Rivington Street. And then we just opened at South Street Seaport in May. And so we have like a 17-foot trailer there it looks like a truck but it's just a trailer it doesn't drive it's permanent mm. there um it's right next to park right next to a bar, an outdoor bar so you know everyone's eating their beer or wine with their fries it pairs perfectly together um and then we have our third location um i put in air quotes because it's a food cart and it, so it's a catering business so we have you know private events you know five to seven days out of the week which I consider a third location. Um, And so that has really, really taken off this year as well. Um, Coming into the winter months, we are opening at Bryant Park this winter on October 27th. And um, from there, I think next year, I'm planning to open many more carts and kind of grow the business in that direction. Now, the carts, are there cooking on the carts? Um, because my experience with Belgian fries is that the equipment to fry these in, these, these large, you know, bowls, uh, as best I can describe them, are, are, seem like they were pretty big pieces of, of equipment. Or are they different sizes? Are they scalable? Yeah. So, so what, how we use the cart is basically we prepare all of our sauces and our fries at our flagship location on mm-hmm. the Lower East side and it kind of acts as our commissary. Um, we have a full kitchen there. Mm-hmm. And then for the cart, all we have to do is bring the fries and the sauces to the cart and then we fry them in the cart. So all okay. we have really in the cart is a fryer and obviously the hood vent for the fryer. And then, you know, we have our sauces and squeeze bottles. So it's a very simple um, and straightforward concept and, and, you know, works really well um, to serve a lot of people in a short, short amount of time, especially for, for events. That's great. And yeah, that's what I was expecting. That's what I've seen. I think most people can uh, visualize that it's the same kind of thing that if you did go to a very high volume event, state fair, you know, rodeo livestock show, and you go to your favorite fry place, you'll notice that, that they've been prepared, they've been blanched, they've been refrigerated, they've been commissaried, sauces have been made, they get delivered, and then they're just the second fry mm-hmm. and serve, second fry exactly. and serve. Okay, exactly. that makes great sense. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the operation too, because you deal with some tremendous high volume. Uh, you have three sizes, I think, right? You have three sizes and at least five or six other specialty fries. That's in addition to the 16 sauces. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Do people have like a particular size that's most popular? And do you just scoop when it's ordered or are some scooped ahead? 
And then once we get into the toppings, I'm thinking, do people get toppings on top of a specialty fry or is the specialty fry something on its own? Um, yeah. So we have, as you mentioned, three sizes, small, medium, and large. Um, and so our most popular size is the small because it's still, you know, a pretty big size. And so in the cart and at the seaport trailer, we only have the small cone. Um, the, the three sizes are only at the flagship location. And at the flagship location is also where we have our more extensive menu. So we have uh, specialty fry options such as the queso and bacon fries, the double truffle fries, the poutine, the blackened Cajun. We just actually added churro fries, which is cinnamon, sugar, and caramel on the side. Um, and so, yeah, so we just added that as, you know, a cute little fall special. But um, yeah, so so those are kind of like our main fry specialty options. And then what I realized is that people we are seeing most of our volume at night, the, the crowd that comes out from the bars and, you know, they want their late night snack and they, everyone's been drinking and, and they want, you know, food at the end of the night. And so I was thinking, how can I create more volume and more sales during the daytime and maybe for lunch or maybe even earlier for happy hour or something like that. So I realized that people wanted something like more substantive, kind of like a bigger meal that they could use as a lunch or, or a heavier snack. So what I did was I added popcorn chicken, I added mozzarella sticks, and I added mini corn dogs um, in addition to the fries. So those have all done really well, especially the popcorn chicken has exploded. Um, the catch is that all of these items that are only sold with the fries. So no matter what you get on the menu, you're still getting bell fries. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the base of our menu right now. And then we have, as I mentioned earlier, our 16 sauces that you can pair with any of those specialty options. And all of these are in cones. These are all handheld uh, type of service. Yeah. So, so our, how we began is just selling in cones, um, which is the way that they do it in Belgium. However, you know, many people wanted to take it to go, take it home, eat it later, whatever it may be. Um, so they, so we started putting it in boxes in bags. So now everyone has the choice if they'd like to have a cone or if they'd like to take it to go in a box. May I ask you, Annalie, if you know offhand, and if you don't, that's fine too, but what your prime costs as a percentage of sales are, I always wondered if the labor and food costs are are low, but I might be underestimating what it takes to actually produce that particular product. Yeah, for sure. So my, you know, I got into the Belgian fry concept with the idea that my labor would be low my cost of goods would be low. And obviously that makes for a profitable business model. However, the fries and the sauces, because we put so much work into them and they're the most high-end product that you could possibly get, they have been much more expensive than I than I imagined at first, um, especially because 
you know, costs across all food is going up. Um, So cost of goods isn't as low as I had expected, but it's still not terrible. Um, For labor, I have been seeing recently we've had an influx in labor cost. I need to work on getting that down for sure. You know, maybe making the operation more effective, you know, cutting some hours here and there where there's not as many sales. Um, but yeah, since I'm I'm basically the only one kind of running the operation and and growing the business and growing the brand, it's hard for me to also at the same time be watching every single expense to the penny. Um, so it's kind of, I, I struggle with a balance of growing the sales and growing the brand and creating more exposure and opening new locations while at the same time trying to watch all of our expenses and make it the, the most profitable that it possibly could be. How are you structured? The, uh, because you just brought up a good point that I know a lot of listeners always haggle with too. And that's the point that they're the owner operator. And they have to balance their time on working in the business and working on the business. Yeah. And here, here you laid out expansion, Bryant Park later this year, more carts next year. So obviously the part of the mind that is on the business is engaged. And then you just kind of mentioned how, you know, the it's hard to also work in the business. Have you gotten to a point now where you've developed a certain structure around yeah. you and you have key people to help? Yeah, I'll definitely explain that a little more. So when I first started out, you know, I was working shifts in the store almost every single day. Um, And without that, I wouldn't know exactly what the business needed and how the business flowed. Um, So that was essential that I did that in the very beginning. However, as time went on, I stepped back a little more and that point I began working on the business rather than in the business. And I know you, you just mentioned that, but that's a great quote that I use. Um, You know, someone once told me, you know, you've made it when you start working on your business rather than in your business. Cause if you're working in your business every day, there's no way that you can grow it. If you're working, if you're working through the day-to-day operational problems that, that are inevitable to happen every single day, it's, it's, you know, pretty impossible to open more locations or focus on marketing and grow the brand when you're just, you're bogged down with all of the problems in house. So, what I have the the way I've been able to step away a bit is because I do have two managers under me right now. One of them runs the Ludlow store, and then one of them the Lower East Side flagship store, and then one of them runs the South Street Seaport location and the cart private event business. Um, so I kind of coordinate them and where they need to be at what time and what event we have, how many people are going to be there, stuff like that. Um, And then they kind of follow through with, with what needs to be done. But I kind of, from a broader perspective, am able to coordinate and tell them what to do for that specific week. Annalie, is this your first um, 
your first business as an entrepreneur um, or did you have some experience uh, with other businesses before you decided to to do this? This is my first one. And and the reason I'm asking, I'm going to, um, I have another question for you. You're relatively young. I've got, I'm a university business school professor, hospitality students. And of course, um, a lot of them dream of doing what you're doing, which is to be a, a successful entrepreneur. So not talking to Chris and me, but talking to somebody else who's, you know, closer to your age. What about becoming an entrepreneur in this space um, took you off guard and what things did you find that were easier than that than you expected? Um, talking to somebody who say, listen, I, I want to be like you in a few years. Tell me what things that you learned that um, uh, uh, that I need to be my going with wide eyes wide open and what things will be easier than maybe I'm concerned about if that's if that question makes sense. Yeah, so I would say that the main thing I've learned over the last actually there's there's two main main points. So the first one is in the beginning, every problem that came up that happened almost every single day, I would, you know, get so stressed out. It'd be like this business is going down. There's this problem and this problem. And as I went on, I realized the problems are inevitable. No matter what you're doing, no matter who you are, the problems are going to happen every single day. And your job as an entrepreneur is to problem solve. That is the job. And so I've learned to accept that there will be problems no matter what I do and no matter how I how, how hard I work and just to take those problems and you know, do my best to solve them and not take it so personally um, or, or, you know, like think that the whole business is going to collapse every time there's a problem. Um, The second thing that I've learned is jump in the swimming pool and then learn how to swim. No one's going to teach you how to do something before you do it. And like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain this in the best way, but the, I think the way you can learn is by doing it first and to take a risk um, and just do it. Just like take that first step and the rest will follow. Um, And if you keep questioning a decision or, or you want to start a business and you, you don't know, if you should, you don't know if it's the right financial decision, just like make a decision, take one step forward of what realistically needs to happen, plan it out the next day, the next two days and the next week in a very short term structure so that you can actually begin and just start. Great points. Uh, great points. Don't you think very um that, that was complete. That was one of the, you know, we've talked to a lot of people and that was um, one of the most insightful things I've heard about entrepreneurship yes. in a long, long time. Um, what I'd like to add to that last point for you listeners is when you do jump in, when you don't hesitate and you know that you just have to do this for the first time, it could be in the operations 
Annalie's been there. It could have something else to do with the business, maybe a business decision, financial decision, marketing plan. You haven't done it before. But when you don't hesitate, you jump in, you go with your gut and you do it. Um, you're also bonding with those that are around you. Um, I've seen people follow, people want to follow a leader that does things and sets a good example. And so if you are new to say your restaurant and you're listening, um, remember that, that whatever the decision is, just because it's something you haven't done before, you're the owner and you have to do it, make the call. And by jumping in and by doing things, not only are you helping yourself, but you're actually bonding with the team. People will rally around and support those that they know do things with them. Yeah, definitely. I think a a good point I want to add on is an example of how I jumped in the swimming pool before learning how to swim was when I, so I had this idea of opening a food cart. I thought it was very simple. I thought, you know, it'd be fun to just sell on the street, make some money. Um, How hard could it be? And so I was toying with the idea back and forth. I didn't know if I should get it or if I shouldn't, but I had this vision for it. And I knew I've, I knew nothing about opening a food cart, nothing. Like I've never done this before. Um, and no one could prepare you for, for what it's, what, what you're going to learn. But so my mentor just said, okay, Annalise, stop thinking about this. We're going to go buy the food cart today. And I went out, I met this random guy on the street, bought the food cart from him. We bought it on November 1st. We were like, okay, let's, let's have this thing on the streets December 1st. And that's what we did. We worked the whole month, got it ready, everything, had it on the streets December 1st. And then having it on the streets, there's a whole nother learning offer, like learning um, opportunity for me, but like I didn't had no idea what a food cart entailed until I actually did it. And it ended up being a huge success, but there was no way that I could know about it until I actually tried it. Very good advice. And, and with, and and based on experience, um, there's a lot more I could say about that, but um, I, I don't want to because you said it so well. Um, any one been doing this, um, how many years have you been doing this now? Because you're, you're, you're leaving that I'm new anymore and you're, you've got a pretty good handle on the horses here. Are you in your what? Second, third, fourth year or what? Uh, it's been about two and a half years. Two and a half years is all. Okay. Okay. You are, you're getting there. Good for you. So in terms of your, 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 your plans for the future, I'm assuming you, you think about these things quite a bit is um, what's the expansion plan for this? What's the expansion plan for you in terms of food service? Um, it sounds like you've found a concept that you have a great handle on, that you like, that you believe in. Um, are you going, how are you going to expand that concept? And now that you've gotten, you know, you've, you've gotten your feet wet in, in as a business person, um, are there other concepts that you have in mind? Um, and I, again, you may not want to divulge that because it may be something you want to keep close to yourself, but what's, uh, uh, what, what's your, what's your plans for growing, um, your enterprise? Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. My vision for growing kind of 
changes slight direction every every other week or so mm-hmm. but um because there's there's so many ways that I can take it so the big question has been like what what makes the most sense and where should we take it um what I am thinking right now currently is that clearly the cart is at, I mean not clearly you guys want to know that but the cart is the most profitable end of the business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I want to do is open up many more food carts in New York City and have them on, you know, re- streets scattered throughout the city, make the brand known, ec- more exposure, making sure every single person on the street that walks down knows the brand, knows Bella Fries, knows they're going to get consistent quality product. Um, and then once the brand is so well known, I'm going to start selling the sauces, as I mentioned earlier, consumer packaged goods into grocery stores or online on gold belly, um, and whatnot. But yeah. And so then the way that I could grow from gaining all that exposure of the carts while also making money, kind of marketing myself is, and then I'll use that to gain customer attraction in the grocery stores. And then they'll see our black truffle mayo jar in the grocery store and say, oh, look, there's there's the Bell Fries black truffle mayo. I had it on the street last month. It was delicious. Let's buy a jar of it and then and then grow it from there um, from a consumer packaged goods point of view. Um, that's, my, that's my idea right now. Well, that's I, a... Very, very good three-step program. Um, I think listeners would agree. They would understand, of course, that carts are going to be a lower cost investment, easier to operate, should be more profitable, and you can grow more and faster. Makes great sense. Uh, There is a tremendous amount of success now in independent restaurant brands building value in their brand by getting the brand retailed and shipped and gold bellied. And people have been doing it with marinades and barbecue rubs. And we, we, we've had people on the podcast that have been doing it with their salad dressings, their bakery items. Um, and so if your commissary kitchen can handle it, the idea of bottling, labeling and shipping is just a natural extension. So yeah, kudos to you. Those are, those are very natural steps that I would see yeah. for you. And I mean, you know, same with jumping in the swimming pool and then learn how to swim. I've never done consumer packaged goods. I don't know what it entails. I don't know if it will be a success. I don't know if it will fail, but there's one way to find out and that's to try it. So, um, and, you know, one thing I know is that I'm passionate about it and I have energy behind it. So with that, I can definitely push it as much as possible for it to be a success. Um, And adding on to that, I do have other business ventures um, other than Bell Fries. I am partnered with this, with another guy, and we, um, we actually supply freshly cracked coconuts to um, venues across New York City, the Hamptons, and Miami, um, you know, rooftops, beach clubs, festivals, things like that. 
And then another, another business venture I have going on right now is I am, you know, looking to invest in this cocktail bar with a few partners in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Um, and they're very skilled at what they've, they do. They've opened many bars before they came to me They're They love bell fries. They're pot. They see my passion and my energy. Um, mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, they decided to partner with me. Um, and I think that, that, that has brought me a long way, the energy that I have behind it. Um, it, people are attracted to that, to that kind of energy and desire to grow and build more. Something tells me that there'll be some really good bell fries sold outside that bar in Brooklyn. <laughs> Definitely. And coconuts. So, so Annalie, um, your philosophy approach to marketing, um, what are your, you know, other than the fact that you make a good product, people like it and they talk about it, but um, how, how do you approach marketing? Um, what's your strategy? What's your philosophy? What works for you and what doesn't work for you? Yeah. So I found that social media is like an animal when it comes to growing sales with marketing. Um, you can like, like Instagram is like wildfire. You can post something, have an influencer to post it and you'll have a line out the door waiting for that, for that thing that they posted. It's insane. Um, Like for, for example, I did a free fry special one, one Friday, a couple weeks ago, we, we were giving out free fries for about half the day. And we posted it on Instagram. We started promoting it literally the night before. And the next morning, there was a line out the door before we even opened waiting for free fries. And the only way they could have known about it, I didn't do any any printed marketing, like nothing. The only way we promoted it was from Instagram. That means that every single person on that line found it found out about our free fry special through Instagram. Yeah. Are you yeah. doing your own social or are you, um, are you working with people who are kind of, you know, creating the, the messaging, the content, the, uh, you know, I'm sure you could be an influencer in this, in this field, but you talk about influencers in the third person. So are you working with people who you think uh, have a lot of attention in the food space? Um, yeah. How do you make that work? Yeah. So I used to do all of our, our marketing, all of our email campaigns, our Instagram, like graphic design posters outside of the store or whatever it may be. Um, however, I got, again, I wanted to start working on the business rather than in the business. And so I hired out someone else to, to take over that job. I showed her everything, what to do, how the schedule works for the Instagram, what works well, what doesn't. Um, and so now she, she runs that Insta the Instagram, um, and I just oversee it, but yeah, the, from an influencer's point of view, though, the food influencers do great for us. Um, we'll invite in an influencer that has maybe a hundred thousand followers. They'll come in, we'll give them free fries. They'll take pictures and 
post it to their 100,000 followers. And all we did was give them a free meal. Um, It's a great it's a great um, pathway to, you know, gain exposure. Um, And it it really does work, honestly. And I. Can I take you to a point to meet, to show, I guess, the other side of this? We were talking a little offline, and so that's why I wanted to bring this up, because uh, sometimes unfortunate things can get really, really blown up because of the power of social media and whatnot. I did not know this until people that I told that I was excited about meeting you and learning about your concept said, wait a second. I heard about that because that poor location got beat up one night with unbelievable, unruly fans and they hurt people and hurt the employees and they stole equipment and it was all posted and and, and that kind of thing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, so you did live through a very unfortunate situation. And maybe you could tell the listeners how you overcome that. And how did you rally the staff to gain confidence again? Because that kind of thing that I was told happened to you late one night at your flagship store um, is just, you know, could just be unbearable uh, the way I guess public uh, behavior can be when they're unruly, mad and drunk. Mm-hmm. So, the Lower East Side has gotten very dangerous in the late night. Um, every, you know, everyone's drinking, everyone's hanging out on the streets. There have been multiple occasions where crime has happened at Belfry's. That that was one of them. Um, it went viral, so everyone knows about it. But there have been, you know, other things that have happened throughout the years. Um. It was a very difficult that that big incident was over a year ago now, but it was very difficult to get to get over it because, you know, our main business does come from that late night drunk crowd. So I it was a it was a challenge for me. You know, how can I keep my employees safe and also still run a business? Uh, a profitable business where and stay open for those hours when we're making our most sales. Um, And how can I make ensure that my employees are happy doing their job while also dealing with, you know, rowdy, rowdy people. Um, I've done the best that I can. You know, I brought in security guards. I brought in a protective screen across the counter. Um, We now close the outdoor seating area after midnight um so people don't linger um and it doesn't create a crowd you know there's there's small things that i've taken to eliminate the chances of something like that happen again um but it it's still a work in progress it's something that you know i have to work with every single week on how to make sure that that my employees are are happy with their job and safe on the job um, while still delivering the best service to our customers. You you well, seem to be um, uh, heavily committed to the New York area and it's, it's New York city's dynamic, uh, even all the boroughs around it. it is, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the major cities in the country, if not the major city um, is there 
are there plans or have you ever considered if the concept have enough legs to take it to other uh, metropolitan areas or um, because of your relationship with uh, the new, with Manhattan and the and the and the boroughs around Manhattan, that's really kind of where you want to um, uh, stay and build your enterprise. So my short term plan is for New York. Mm-hmm. However, I have been talking to a few investors, and they are interested in expanding into Texas and you know, growing in airports and stadiums and whatnot. Um, I am more, more than happy, more than excited to grow into other states. I just don't know a lot about the, the market in other states. So it would be difficult for me to do on my own, but, you know, with the help of investors and partners and, and a bigger team, it would, it's definitely something that I'm interested in. Well, and you have a concept. In my experience, I would certainly recommend that you do when you're at that point. Short term, you're right. It's all about NYC right now, and you've got great opportunities there. But when you are ready for that, yeah, yeah, I think that this is something that uh, the comments about maybe licensed uh, or contract food service that gets you into things like parks, stadiums, theaters, airports, universities, healthcare. Yeah, that that to me would be a tremendous step and it would be, I think, received very well in the spaces that are available, the impulse buying that goes on there. Um, there's a tremendous market that's available for that. So when you're ready to dip your toe into that pool, I think you're going to be well received there too. Thank you. So I'm going to steal from you um, the line uh jump in the pool before learning to swim. I'm not sure if you got it from anybody else, but I love that. Um, and it, it seems to me that that's your, your way of doing things, uh, move to the next step and, uh, and figure it out as you go along. What, what areas, um, uh, you, are you spending most of your time in terms of getting up to speed with right now? It uh, sounds like you have a good handle on a lot of things. Are there any particular areas where you go, gee, I need to really, dive in and become more educated. And the reason I asked is because, you know, clearly restaurant.com, restaurant and growth for all of our educating entrepreneurs. So I want to know what is, what kind of things that, um, where you want to feel like you are building your education and your knowledge base. Are you saying like, what things am do things I that to- you as an owner, you know, go, gee, I really, at this point, I really need to get up to speed on this area. I know a lot of things. I know a lot. I, I've learned a lot and how to make things work. And now at this level um, where you are saying, listen, this is where I really need to become uh, uh, yeah. more of an expert. I think that I need to become an expert in learning what employees are great employees and finding people who are loyal and trustworthy and really believe in the business. Um, I need to become great at reading people and communicating with, with my team members as a leader. Yeah. I I think that's the main and, and how to create a team that, is so passionate about the company that that's what catapults it forward. 
Chris and I have done probably 70 of these podcasts now, Annalee, and we've talked to a lot of really smart, successful people like you of all ages, but including young, smart entrepreneurs. And we're still waiting for that. When we ask that question regarding what they need to work on and get better at, where they don't say it's culture, leadership, employees, teamwork, that seems to be the part of this business that um, is the most challenging for even people who are smart and successful. So I'm just sharing that with you because um, out of 70 podcasts, you are not <laughs> alone. May I say that, no. Chris? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it, it, it's a people business after all. Uh, you mm-hmm. talked about that earlier, your care for your people, your um, your concern for your people when it comes to safety and training and confident. You want to, I, you know, you want that work environment to be positive. And so that's why um, before you even answered the question, I was already guessing it's probably going to have something to do with leadership development, uh, keeping, finding, keeping, and developing good, loyal people, because I want that kind of culture. I want a positive work environment so people, you know, stay and help each other and and get what I'm doing. And so, yeah, um, right with you, I have every confidence that you will find your way of doing that, because as Barry alluded to, almost everyone, regardless of concept or age, comes to that point that they have to find their way of of uh, developing their team they have to find their way of bonding with their people so they create that loyalty and and then that passion takes over and before i know it, you've got a work environment that's positive so finding finding a great team i would say is 100 the hardest part of what i do mm-hmm. um and someone someone's told me the other day they said you know, when you want the best basketball team, you recruit the best players. And it's the same with business. If you want the most successful company, you recruit the best players to work in the company. And I thought that was, that was very insightful. Yeah. And you may find uh, as some other restaurant operators that we've talked with found that the recruiting of the best wound up being paying attention to those that we had and developing from within. Uh, recruiting the best isn't always, you know, grabbing from somewhere else. Um, but you're right. It is going to start with the recruiting. Uh, you get people and then you train, they understand, you train more, they bond. And uh, yeah, there there are some success stories out there. We could talk for a complete hour just on that step. Mm-hmm. But we know we don't have that kind of time. I want to ask you one your quick time. We know that you have uh, things going on next. Um, and we really appreciate uh, some of your insights. Uh, they're articulate and, uh, um, uh, and particularly your view of uh, entrepreneurship. Very powerful. So we do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, for taking your time today, because we know that you're busy and we know you got to run. But everyone, you've been listening to Annalie Schlossberg. You've been listening about Bell Fries. Look them up. Interesting product, uh, a great concept, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more of it. Annalie, thank you again. Um, Hopefully, we'll be able to follow you with interest and have you back one day soon to talk about all those interesting new licenses and how Belgian fries have outgrown New York. 
Of course. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's great to speak with you guys. And yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation at a later date. That sounds great, Annalie. Thank you. Everyone, we hope you catch up with us real soon on another Corner Booth. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on the Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.